The Brazilian philosopher and educator Paulo Freire uh, had a name for the traditional education process, where the system imparts a litany of facts and information to a student. Uh, he called it the banking method. The teacher just makes deposits. Uh, Freire argued for an alternative method of Aristotelian dialogue um, that could ultimately achieve a critical consciousness for the oppressed and the working classes. Uh, the reason for this is fairly straightforward, and I think he captures it uh, in, in this quote. It is not systemic education which somehow molds society, but on the contrary, society which, according to its particular structure, shapes education in relation to the ends and interests of those who control the power in that society. Well, tonight, friends and comrades, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, an alternative uh, model for education. Uh, this is your Highlands Bunker podcast for the week, and we are in the shadow of Rockford Tower. Uh, Carl is here uh, on the knobs with us, and I'd like to introduce um, Michelle Klassen, who is going to be um, opening up a, a Sudbury school in Wilmington, uh, which is a completely different sort of democratic model, um, and I'm very interested in what it is. So, uh, Michelle, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, we always sort of start off um, with some background um, of yourself and, and sort of like how you grew up, what was your education like, and um, was there anything that sort of drove you um, into thinking about um, how we do education and alternative methods of education? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I grew up in Sussex County. I'm not originally from Wilmington. Um, and I went to private religious school growing up, K through 12th. Um, never really enjoyed it. I was there for more of like the sports, the drama, all of that type of thing, friends. Um, and started, went after high school, then didn't really know what I was going to do. So kind of like fiddled around with some different, um, associates degrees. Um, I did Dell Tech, moved out to Ohio for a time, and then got into a volunteer position, um, down in Atmore, Alabama. And so I volunteered at a school down there for about two years and kind of got into the, did some administrative aspects of it, like secretarial duties, and was in the classroom with kids as well. So started kind of like seeing different, it was a type of paces, like, I don't know if you've heard of that. I'm not. What, 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 I wouldn't really encourage it, but um, more of like self-study in a way. It was um, done. It was a very small group. So just started kind of getting my feet wet with some education, types of education. And decided what I wanted to pursue this. I wanted to become a teacher. Um, so I went to the University of Delaware and did my under, undergrad in education. And I was part of something called the PDS, um, Professional Development School, which was supposed to give me like three times the amount of hours in the classroom as a typical graduate. Um, so way more intense. So did that and really fell in love with being with kids in the classroom. Um, I'm not sure why I was drawn to more of like the, what teachers would say, like more of the lower uh, socioeconomic type kids or the naughty ones as they would like to peg them as, um, but just really fell in love with education and kids learning kind of like the process. So then graduated, went to work at Woodbridge Elementary and I was there and just started to feel a dissatisfaction for what was going on in the classroom. Um, I didn't feel like what school was doing was working for anyone 
um, I had, there was four kids that I still think about in my class that it was not working for. And it was, um, yeah, just kind of like your typical four different types of kids. Um, you had a Latinx kid, a black African-American kid, a white kid, and then this kid from the Middle East. And just kind of saw them in their own personal struggles with what was going on as me as a teacher trying to give them information. And it, they weren't really, there was nothing that they were enjoying about it. And so I feel like that was kind of like the starting point for me of being just dissatisfied with what was going on in education. I switched um, classrooms a little bit, went to a different class, went ahead and started getting my master's because was thinking, well, maybe I should go into a different part of education, not the typical, like just a traditional classroom. So I went and got my master's um, and I'd gotten married during this time. And my partner and I had always dreamed of moving overseas, kind of getting away from where we were living and just experiencing life away from America. And so we ended up in Laos and I got a position at an international school in Laos and worked my way up to the principal position. I was just always dissatisfied um, with what was going on. Just didn't feel like these kids were energized to learn. I just felt like I was just had to like kind of like open their brains, dump these facts in and hope for the best kind of thing. The banking method. Yeah, the banking method. Exactly. And so really just started looking into there's got to be something different out there. And so I would practice with my classroom. The director of the school was really flexible, kind of let me do whatever. Um, and so I'd like try different things with my classroom, like kind of like scrapped what the typical curriculum was or the grading scale that I need to use for that particular class and talked with the kids. Like, what do you guys want to know about? And I would still hit like the topics of the reading or the ELA that we had to hit, but kind of like let them go off on their own little avenues. So they would choose their own literature that they would read. And then we'd come back and figure out how to do it more individualized. So I started getting into this type of different ways of doing school in the, with my own kids in the classroom. They were a middle school group. Um, at the time, I also had my own kids. So I had a six-year-old, or a, sorry, a three-year-old, and then a baby, and started seeing my own child not working with the traditional model of schooling. And so I think seeing it in so many students all over, and they were, it was an international school. So we had Koreans, Chinese, Vietnamese, we had the Laotians. And then a lot of Europeans and a lot of Americans in the school as well. And just seeing that it's not working. Like these kids, they're not, there's no joy. They're, their intrinsic motivation that we heard about tapping into in college, it's not there. Like I wasn't seeing it. And I felt like I was a very, I don't like up on the times type of individual. Like I would, I loved reading and trying to perfect my craft, but just didn't feel like it was working for the majority of my students. And so I really started looking into ways like alternative methods of education. And there's Reggio Emilio, Montessori, like all of these different ways. Um, started looking into homeschooling, but that's quite religious or people with agendas typically do homeschooling. I ran, came across unschooling then, which comes, it's a completely different philosophy of education that looks at the child as a naturally curious individual. Like kids are born, they learn how to walk, they learn how to talk without anyone teaching them how to do it. And so seeing the child as this natural, curious individual, what if we as adults would support them and just see what would happen with it? And so found Sudbury in this whole endeavor of unschooling. And Sudbury just really hit a lot of the concerns I had with traditional school, issues that I had with traditional school, and, um, but very, very progressive as well. And so really started going down this road of the Sudbury method and trying to just seek out as much information as I could, connecting with other founders of schools. And then my partner and I thinking we'd like to start one 
um, someday, a, a school. And so then we found Sudbury, talking with founders of Sudbury schools, thinking, you know, we could really see this working well for back when we moved back to the States. And so then when we moved back um, here, started pursuing this more more aggressively now that we're back. When did you move back? Um, we moved back right before Christmas. Okay, so it's pretty recent. It's pretty recent, yeah. So you moved Coronavirus back. Coronavirus messed everything up, but yeah. Yeah, so you moved back with the intention of, of starting this new sort of uh, – so this new thing. Yeah, and I had been contacting quite a few founders of Sudbury schools um, while we were still living overseas and reading as much literature that I could get my hands on about it, um, but then really like hit the ground running when we came back here and started an internship at a school in New Jersey just so I could get some more hands-on experience and see it, not just reading all about it. Yeah. Well, give give people, I've, I've read about a little bit about it, but maybe give people an idea of what uh, what the philosophy is, mm -hmm. um, sort of the democratic aspects of it. Yeah. Um, what uh, What is the interplay between sort of the, I, I, don't, I don't even know if they were called teachers, but um, just sort of like people who are there for support, mm -hmm. adults who are there for mm -hmm. support, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, because it's a, it's a wide range of students, you know, from elementary school age to high school mm -hmm. age, what is the interaction between um, all of the different ages of students? Okay, so yeah, some of the values of Sudbury would be the age mixing, which you've already touched on, um, and just seeing that life as we live as adults, we are not just stuck with people that are all of our same age, right? Like, yeah, even us three right here in this room are probably very different ages, but learning how to work together, and that's society as a whole. And so seeing age mixing and the blending of ages being something that's so valuable of the younger kids learning from the older kids, the, the older kids having... Um, a responsibility to help guide the younger kids or teach them things or whatever it is. Um, so age mixing is a huge, huge value to the Sudbury model. Um, freedom of exploration of what they're, what this child is interested in is another huge value of it. Um, and maybe they make mistakes in that endeavor. And maybe it doesn't, doesn't involve them sitting down with a book and learning math, but it can be learning math, learning reading can be done in a variety of ways. And so giving the children, giving all the students space and time to just sit and kind of explore who they are as individuals and what they're interested in and then see where that leads them. Yeah, how I'm, I'm interested in, I guess it's called school rules and, and the sort of the democratic way that they're, uh, that they're built and they're agreed upon. Um, I like it because uh, we talk in here a lot about uh, workers co-ops where workers have a say in their uh, and how and what they do and, and how you know uh, how they spend their time with their labor um, so I'm really interested in this idea of what so can you give me an example uh, well first of all explain to everybody sort of how that works mm -hmm. and that everybody definitely has a say in yeah. what's going to happen mm -hmm. and what the rules are and can you give us an example of sort of how that works in some of the places that you've studied mm -hmm. or that you've been yeah so typically when the school starts fresh um, they present this, the whole model of like respect and responsibility in a safe community to the kids. And they talk about where the children have all come from and then what type of community that they want to establish here at their school. Um, and so there's school rules from all the other Sudbury schools and the founders freely share them. And they're quite thick. And so oftentimes you'll present these school rules to your own community. So the Wilmington Sudbury School, I would present these school rules to them. Do we want to take on someone else's rules or do we want to make their own? And I've never heard of someone taking on other rules. Or if they have, they quickly dismantle them and start fresh or whatever. And so then you start talking about it. And every day you're having a meeting. So you have a meeting every day when you come in. 
and you sit around and talk about all the issues that arise. So the kids can bring issues to the table so the floor wasn't swept. Or how do we keep this place clean? Starting off with that, right? And then we all break it down of how, how do we keep this place clean? Because we're responsible for this place. And so then they, we would set up chores um, and daily chores. And then the kids are the ones responsible for doing those daily chores. If there's issues that arise, then they can be brought up in the school meeting and solved in the school meeting. Oftentimes there's then another committee. It's called the judici judicial committee. Sometimes schools change it to sound a little bit more nice. Um, but then the judicial committee is the people kind of like your court that's responsible for handling conflict that comes up with the students. And then the judicial committee would meet as often or as little as needed to solve disputes among the peers. All the staff, so we don't call them teachers, but they are adults, um, all the staff and the students have one vote. So we all sit around and when the time comes to make a decision, we all vote on that. So my role as a founder, I don't get two votes. I don't get the final say, but I get one vote and we come together and then we go with consensus. So whatever, whatever vote wins, then we do that. And we can always come back and change things. So I think that's also the whole part of them experiencing this type of democratic lifestyle is that you can always go back and change things. Nothing is set in stone. Nothing that I've seen yet at Sudbury schools is so set in stone that you can't go back and make changes to it. But the kids are responsible for that as well. So I could bring things to the table, but so could the child that's sitting next to me bring things to the table for us to discuss and try to figure out how to make it work in this community. Yeah, that's cool. So let's get down into some, some detail, and then we'll talk about maybe some higher concepts or, or kind of hash other stuff out. But let's let's say I'm a, a, I'm a elementary school age, whatever that is, seven, eight-ish, and, I, and I, I come through the doors of the school um, – what can I? What, what what's my day like? What what what, what am I doing? Um, who am I seeing? Um, especially like what um, what resources and tools are available to me for either just open play for other academic endeavors, anything I want to get into. Like how what what would be my experience in a school day as a like an eight year old? Uh huh. So the whole process process of even getting into the school, it's quite a different type of enrollment process. There's interviews that the child has to go. through. Through. Parents have to go through interviews, too, to make sure that they understand exactly what they're receiving, because this is kind of like it's a consumerist culture, right? Like they want to know exactly what they're getting out of this. So if the child then is admitted to the class or is admitted to the school, the child comes in. There's going to be all different types of toys and different things that they can be getting involved in. There's can be arts and crafts, but then and then the outside world. So them exploring nature and stuff like that. But then if this child doesn't see what they're interested in they can go to a staff member or to an older peer and say, hey, look, I want, I'm really interested in robotics. But it's all up to the child. So there's not going to be any staff member sitting down with a child and saying like, okay, what's your day going to look like? How, let's map this out. If you want that from a school, go to an agile learning center. There's plenty of other types of co-ops or places that say they give freedom, but it's done in a different way. But at the Sudbury School, the child might just sit for a while and might experience boredom and in that boredom, they're going to be able to tap into something deeper to their motivation to kind of figure out, okay, what do I want to make this? Because this is my place. This is my time. And so maybe the kid would go exploring all day. Maybe the kid would be building forts outside all day. Maybe the kid would be playing video games or playing, doing puzzles with friends. I think the entire day would look completely different. And that's one of the hardest things, I think, about this whole type of school is parents hearing that there are some red flags that go off really quickly. But there's a philosophy that we kind of have to 
have parents walk through or this unlearning process that parents even have to go through and the child um, of like de-schooling themselves, of getting ourselves out of this traditional mindset of this is exactly what school is. And if I'm not doing this, then I'm not being educated because that's not what this motto is about at all. And we're trying to kind of like break the typical mold of what, what traditional school is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely interested in it for the reasons I said at the beginning, because I think traditionally, you know, uh, the, the general curriculum, um, not to get too deep, but it's sort of like uh, it's, a, it's a hegemony, right? Like you're being taught what they want you to know. Exactly. Uh, we talk about this. It's a, we're big on history and, and U.S. history especially. And, um, you know, finding out that, you know, you were taught a list of dates and facts and people but not necessarily like the the context in which they made this decision or the context in which this particular thing happened and what it meant. So, yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued by it, but but I'm also I well let's let, let me ask you this question first and then it'll get into sort of my next question. Um what I'm um, are are there any other sort of um uh academics or, or people who are, I mean your, your staff um, is your staff generally all um, have they have they studied in this particular model or are they coming from other models how, how does how does that work and 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 also what's been the sort of the feedback you've been getting from other folks in the sort of educational mm -hmm. uh, environment here in the state yeah so back to what types of staff so hoping to have a wide variety of staff um, on the school and people that I'm talking to, like we want different races, we want different backgrounds, we want different professions, because that's what's gonna give these kids as much opportunity to be exposed to different things as possible. Like I don't want four female teachers like have, that have studied education because that's going to defeat the whole, the whole environment of exposing them to a wealth of different things. So that's one of the beauty of us renting in Arden this coming year, because there's such a wide variety of people within Arden. And so those people getting involved in the school and whether it's just one day a week or special trainings or different things like that, being able to give back to the school with what their professions is and what they're what what they're interested um, in. Um, as far as what people are talking about within the states, is that, what, is that your question? About well, within the state only. Yeah, because um, and, and I'm sure it's a, yeah. yeah, educators yeah. And, and people because I, I mean, we'll talk about it in a minute, but I know. You know, everybody has sort of their own idea, and this is this particular idea is 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 radical in a good yeah. way. Um, but you know, a lot of people aren't. You know, yeah, you're, yeah, not, yeah. you're not ready for how ready I am sort of situation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's very um, true. so. I'm, I'm I'm interested, sort of what um, what feedback you've gotten and what criticism yeah. you've gotten. Yeah, so a lot of it comes down to parents want to be in control, like, and we know exactly what the risk is with traditional school. Like there's massive risk in what the child's going to be exposed to, what they're going to come out like, but we're used to that risk. We're not used to this type of risk because it is so, so untraditional and progressive. And so that's one of the biggest pieces of like, I don't think I could commit to that. I'm too scared of what my child would turn out like. But then if you throw out kind of like, well, are you impressed with what you see coming out of public schools these days? Oh, well, no, not really. But and so it's this whole different like thinking in a different way. So risk is a huge thing. Control, feeling like, well, my, you're not going to force my child to memorize their math facts. Like, no, we're not going to force your child to memorize their math facts. If they need their math facts down the road, they will learn their math facts. So many kids that I have met in Sudbury schools, you ask them, how did you learn to read? I have no idea. 
one little boy was like, well, I had to learn how to read a manual for my video game and I learned how to read. Like just amazing, phenomenal things that I think we take away the magic of learning so often by breaking it down into this one first grade, they need to do this. And second grade, they need to do this type of thing. And we don't just realize, no, kids have taught themselves already how to talk, which is an amazing, amazing thing with language. Um, I feel like I've kind of like realized that with learning a second language as well as an adult of how difficult it is. And then thinking, no, kids do this because they're intrinsically motivated to communicate. And so if a child wants to learn their math facts for something later on, they'll do that. Um, another big thing is college. Well, what if my child, can my child go to college? Yes, your child can definitely go to college. They would treat it more similarly to like a homeschool type of thing. So one of the recent graduates in New Jersey had to write a thesis. It was like a 30-page thesis comparing how the education that she received at a Sudbury school is equal to or better than what she could have gained in a traditional school. And she got a full ride to a college um, for psychology in Florida. So these kids, it's not like they're just going to be more into the arts and crafts. I think a lot of people think that as well. Um, but if they want to be a doctor, then they have the self-motivation and the discipline to go to college. Some of them might have to get a GED before they get there, but they do it because they're motivated for the outcome. So I feel like a lot of it just comes down to the risk involved and this whole like piece of control of not wanting to trust our kids that much to give them kind of like freedom to explore whatever they're interested in. Yeah, I guess it's a sort of a standard thing too. People are, are used to, I think you, you, you said it perfectly, like, okay, grade level for this is this, then grade level for that, the next thing is that. And without tracking these standards, we have no way of knowing what the, what the progress is. Yeah. Well, but there's no reason to think that that, that, that progress is the right progress. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's failing. Exactly. It's, it's certainly failing a mm -hmm. lot of people. So I think yeah, too, kind of like breaking it down and like explaining like why, when was education, like when did schools kind of come about? And it was for an industrial revolution. And we are so far away from that now. Like our society, we're not training people to sit in, um, sit in factories and listen to orders, right? Like some of what employers want is like create very creative individuals, like mo self-motivated, self-aware, like all of these things and helping parents to kind of realize, well, as an 18 year old, you coming out of public school or traditional school, did you have those things? And I know for me, I didn't like, and I feel like that's some of like this wishy-washiness of like the twenties and thirties of kind of like figuring out who you are. And some of the graduates that I've seen coming out of Sudbury schools, I'm blown away by, they know who they are and they're ready to tackle whatever comes before them. And even if they make a mistake and change paths some, somewhere, they have some deeper understanding of like who they are as an individual and how to get to where they want to go. Yeah, I, 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 I see it. You know, I think I, I definitely see the, the pitfalls um, and I'm wondering, you know, I'm sure there are successes. Um, but my, my main question is this. Let's just get to the, to the big thing I want to talk to talk about and see how see how how we where we go with it. Um, you know, you're from here and, and you taught at, at Woodbridge. So, you know, Delaware is a, a pretty weird place. Um, uh, it's infamous uh, for the first question you get um, in social set settings is usually where did you go to high school? Yeah. Which is just bizarre. But again, <laughs> we'll never shake that. So so what that question is to me is just a, a pretty explicit proxy for social and economic class. You know, people want to know like, you know, how, you know, how you were, you know, what what information you got and in what environment and and that's really what it is i had a a, a friend of mine who is on a lot of shows uh with me sort of a, a sometimes co-host um, ty greer 
and she went to a, a Catholic school for one year. I went 12 years, similar to you. Um, and we, we sort of came to the conclusion that that's, that's you know, it's, it's a classist sort of almost like elitist thing. Um, but we have that here, and, and you mentioned, you know, the, the, there's a there's a emissions process, there's an interview. Obviously, the, the parents are going to sort of buy into this, um, and they sort of know, you know, it's, it's not like someone off the street is just walking in and doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's sort of a setup there. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this idea of it being, I, I don't want to call it elitist, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, there is a private school tuition. Yeah. Um, uh, was it ten or $11,000 yeah. a year? Yeah. Uh, and and a, and a pretty, and I, I'm guessing, and, and maybe you can explain a little more what the mm-hmm. admission process is, but it, I would say, especially for an elementary school kid, it sounds pretty rigorous, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just in first, second, third grade, yeah. say, or six, seven, mm-hmm. eight. Um, yeah, so uh, how do you, how do you, um, how do you place that within the, with, within the, uh, the, in, the environment here, the educational mm-hmm. sort of, because we, we have, you know, we have obviously very elite private schools. Yeah. We have parochial schools, mm-hmm. which are sort of another step. We have charter schools, which are, you know, again, I, I, are problematic to me because of this, um, the idea that some people get choice and there's, yeah. a, there's a selection. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm getting to is this filtering process. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever there's a filtering process to, to, to admit kids to a school, mm-hmm. whatever it is, yeah. that filtering process um, is going to very easily sort of not, it's going to make sure that you have folks who are going to flourish or you think are going to flourish mm-hmm. in that environment. Yeah. Not necessarily for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want you to speak on that a little bit uh-huh. and, um, and and we'll see where that sort of goes because I think that that's, I think that's, that would be my biggest question is, you know, we can, th- this is really, I mean, I, I don't know how, how you look at it maybe, but mm-hmm. I find this sort of like as a, as a good idea but a niche idea yeah 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 so uh, is it um you know can you can you scale it up or does it just need to be people who sort of understand the concept Mm -hmm. yeah so great question um so this was one of my biggest like one of the deepest values that my partner and i have is to have a diverse environment like my son grew up in a very international setting and it was i loved it the diversity and all the different people coming together and for him being in one classroom but there was probably 10 countries in that one classroom. So we're not gonna have that in Wilmington, right? But we can have different populations of people. And so one of our biggest thing in the way, in talking to other founders of Sudbury schools was like, how do you get a diverse population? And the main thing that all of them said was, you need a sliding tuition scale. You need some type of grant and aid that you're going to be able to open it up to more people than just this kind of like typical middle class type of individual or more higher class that can afford private school. And so what we're starting off with and um, really happy about it is a grant and aid tuition application. So anyone that's interested in the school can do this application that takes their entire household income and then tell, goes back to the school with how much they can actually afford. So because Wilmington Sudbury is just starting off, I'll use Philly Free School as an example. So Philly Free School's tuition ranges from $1,800 a year for private and they can, if that is too expensive for families, then there's other types of grant and aid that they can receive from the school through donors and stuff like that. 
up through $14,000 a year. So a huge range. And I believe at the last I talked to the founder, it was about 52% was like low economic families coming to the school. But that's one way that they've been able to diversify the student population. And then also with their staff, they're very selective in who their staff are. So that it, there's many schools of this type that if I can say it's white people, it's all white middle-class people. And that's not what we want for Wilmington Sudbury. We do want to have a diverse population. And so hoping to, the sliding tuition scale will help with that for sure. And then wanting to connect with people that really care about all different types of kids and that want to sponsor a child or donate to the school because the funds have to be made up somewhere as well for rent and for all the other expenses. Um, as far as the enrollment process, so the rigorous enrollment process is mostly to find out, has this child been expelled from a public school and for what reasons? And then to make sure that the parents understand exactly what they're not going to be receiving from the school. So a lot of it has to do with making sure the parents understand, not necessarily the child. But the child has to sign off as well. So if the child doesn't want to be there, then we're not going to accept them because it's all about choice. And the freedom of learning here at the school, what we want for the kids. So a lot of it is just making sure the parents understand, like there was not going to be homework. There's not going to be progress reports. If you want to know where your child's standing, you can make a meeting with me or another staff member and your child in the room, but we're not going to meet separately and talk about the child. And if your child doesn't want to meet, then sorry, we're not going to have that conversation or it's going to be a very low key conversation. So hoping those things will help to not make it such an elite um, community, but knowing you will have some of that with being a private school. I think too, just that it's opening up more, um, just more choice for parents here in Wilmington. Like not all kids are fitting into the private schools and the finances for like Tower Hill or Tattano or whatever it is. Like people can't afford that. And so one of my goals in starting this is talking to a lot of different people like Shannon Griffin or Maria Buchamp and all these people, Erica Gutierrez, and seeing how can, how can we work together to make this work for the community of Wilmington, even as a private school? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I love all of that stuff. And one of the reasons, um, you know, I was excited was because Maria reached out to me and um, I talked to Maria and Erica a lot about a lot of different issues and uh -huh. a lot of organizing they're mm -hmm. doing. And I, I, when, when somebody sort of piques their interest, I'm always interested because uh -huh. I sort of, you no, know, it's I, great. Cause I, I, um, yeah, I don't have kids, mm -hmm. and so the whole education sort of um, the whole education realm is a little bit of a mystery to mm -hmm. me. Um, you know, it's tough because you mentioned the, the the word choice, and I hate that word. Yeah, um, because I feel like it. Um, I feel like it commodifies everything. Like everything's mm -hmm. a consumer good. Yeah. Like you have this brand of thing you can get, or you have this brand of thing you can get, or you can have this brand of thing. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I mean, what we're doing universally is not the greatest. Yeah. You know, we could be more flexible. We could be more open. We could be more diverse. We could be more understanding about different people's needs and mm -hmm. what they want to do. Um, we can understand that kids' curiosity, as you said, they le kids learn how to walk and talk just from being around. Yeah. You know, they learn that stuff because they just pick it up. Mm -hmm. Um I can understand how a parent might be a little hesitant, mm -hmm. you know, when kids, other kids their age know how to multiply yeah. or something. Yeah. And other, I'm sure that comes up. Yeah. And I guess that maybe that's my next question mm -hmm. is sort of when when these specific issues come up. Now, obviously, the, the parents have signed off on this and they know sort of where it's going. Yeah. And, and, the, and the kids at least 
you know, agrees to, you know, mm -hmm. do this. But yeah, I mean, when you get a little older and, and there are those like, you didn't hit this standard or you're sort of doing your other thing. Mm -hmm. how, I mean, can, can you give me some examples of that and how you, how you um, sort of flesh those out and, and, and overcome those when, yeah. you know, maybe a student is, um, I don't know, 12 years old and they've read, you know, Russian literature, but yeah. they, but they, they're not really into math. Yeah. So, yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Yeah. No. And I think it's helpful. I have two kids of my own. They're still young, but that gives a little bit more, I don't know, credibility to this whole game that I can like, I can empathize with families because I've been there and I, I'm, and I will continue to be there with them because my son is only six. Right. And he's not reading yet and he has no desire to read yet, but he loves books and he listens to podcasts like No Tomorrow. Like and so looking for ways that you can encourage them and other things about the child or saying, like, why do we care so much that the child can read? Like they're an empathetic individual. Like what more does society need right now than empathy for other people, not just themselves and selfless and all of these things? So I think like helping parents to not be so caught up in the traditional school game of trying to quantify everything, where the child is at. Um, I know some parents have, like from other schools as well, have brought this up. But I have never yet met a Sudbury student that is not reading by the age of 12. Like every child that I've met, and I've been in three different schools and talked to a wealth of other founders as well. And they're reading because they want to. And so I think it's a big trust that parents have to kind of just like stick in this and just watch and if after five years like parents don't typically leave families typically don't leave this type of model after two to three years because they're seeing such great changes in their child yeah i was going to ask you sort of what i don't you know sort of the um washout's probably the wrong <laughs> word but like do you see most of the most of the of the of the kids or the parents sort of backing away and, and dropping it just after one or two years. Yeah, typically it's one to two years. Mm -hmm. And what's the percentage of that? Do we, I mean? Ooh, I don't, I don't, know, I would if, I don't say, know if there's good numbers or, or I what? I don't have good numbers on it. The one school that I was actually interning at for longer, it was one family for the entire year, and it was be they came during the whole COVID thing because this private school was still meeting, um, and then they went back when the public schools opened because they were concerned about their child's math grades. If kids want to play sports, like that would be another, like some of the kids might leave for high school to go get involved in football or stuff like that because the Sudbury schools aren't doing team sports like that and stuff like that. But I feel like a lot of it, and talking to parents as well, like talking to a lot of um, different family members, and they're seeing such great other things that are coming out of their child and how happy their child is. Um, another mother talked about like putting their daughter in and her depression just really started to deteriorate because she was able to be accepted in a group of people for who she was and wasn't experiencing the bullying at schools. And so it seems like a lot of um, kids come to this or a lot of families come to this type of education, either like they're four and five year olds and they've kind of never yet been in school and kind of see the beauty of the na child's natural curiosity already and are willing to try something different or people that have kind of been burned by traditional school and they're seeing things coming out of their child now that they're not really enjoying or liking. Maybe the home life is just pure torture. Um, one mom that I talked to was like, my home life has improved greatly within the first year that I admitted my son to this type of school. So I think it's like helping parents to, I don't know, look more broadly at things and not just look at what the scores are, where their progress is related to their peers. But it is hard. And so it's another thing that we want to um, establish within the community is that parents are learning and having a support group as well, because you can't just throw the child in there and say, parent, like, 
stay out of it type of thing. So looking for ways that parents can be involved and feel like they're giving back into the school with fundraising or different events like that, but not necessarily being involved with the child's academics or worrying about their progress in that way. Do you see sort of the traditional, I call it traditional, sort of the, what people would expect as sort of uh, behavioral issues or like conflict? I mean, you, you mentioned less bullying, and I, I guess I would assume that because sort of everybody, there's a, a spirit of court, you know, that everybody's in it together, and they sort of know that. I mean, I don't know, do, do you guys, do, do they do sort of meet? all together every day or once a week? It really depends. So some of it's like once a week, others, the school that I was at more often was twice a week that they would meet together. But it is, it's like a community and you and the staff would constantly say, this is your school guys. Like, what are we going to do with certain issues that would arise or, I mean, the coronavirus brought a whole wealth of new topics for these kids to sit around and discuss and politics of the past year. And so it was really amazing to see these kids kind of going back and forth about politics or COVID or masking and all this type of thing. But they're doing it and they're still smiling at each other when they're done with it, which I feel like is not the norm for kind of what I've seen coming back to America. It's very divisive. And I feel like but within the Sudbury School, they're they're seeing it so much more. So seeing the relationships and the community is so much more. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the dynamic between maybe like older students and younger students, Mm -hmm. because I see that being like rather than, you know, how I grew up, or, or maybe you guys, you did mm-hmm. mention our different ages. I'm uh, obviously quite older than <laughs> so this back in the back in the back in the day, um, there was definitely like a a, a friction uh, or a tension between you know a student that was say at the oldest level, be a senior and you're a freshman, or they're in eighth grade and you're in sixth grade, or whatever it is. Um, what is that like? I mean, are 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 the older students? Um, by and large sort of um kind of bought into the fact that they're they're really mentors now because if you if there's something you don't know and you're eight or nine or ten and you've bought into this i'm assuming you're going to other students to get you know resources or get Mm -hmm. ideas about hey i want to learn this thing how do you go about doing that yeah 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 one child um, one of the recent things i saw was a child wanted to learn how to knit and so they went to an older student that had been knitting hats or something it was like hey teach me how to do this It was like a five-year-old and a 13-year-old or something like that. Um, They're interacting in all different types of ways. So maybe it's two kids on video games together and they're kind of teaching them that. Maybe it's kids playing outside together or, hey, can you tie my shoe? One, um, I've seen numerous, numerous like older kids taking care of little wounds of the younger kids that were outside. So it's so much more of like we're in this together and they've bought into that. Something else that's so amazing about this type of community is that the younger kids could write up an older kid for bullying him or for being mean. There was one five-year-old that wrote up, like, I think it was around a 13 or 14-year-old boy for being mean to him. And they had to go to the judicial committee and talk about it. And it was really cool to see this five-year-old using his voice to this teenager. I was like, I would never, ever have done that as a five-year-old. But it's like bringing it down to, like, we're equals here. And just because you're older doesn't mean that you're more special in some way or have more power. It's like we are all equal in this community. And to see the I don't bravery of the little five-year-old that was able to do that. So I think it really establishes a lot of cool things. One of my one of my thoughts was, um, I was asking some of the older kids, like, so how do you do it? Because you're not normal. Like, you in this community, this is not normal. This is not how the real world works right now. Like, do you feel discouraged when you go out and, like, interact with your friends and stuff like that? And like, no, not really at all. Like, it's just a different type of community. And we see as we have something to give to them, we can also be learning stuff from them. So not even this greater than now kind of 
personality that comes from these kids either, which I was really glad to hear and impressed by as well. It's funny you bring that up about learning back and forth in sort of different environments. You know, you're, you're, you know, one's so much different than the other. My, my one desire would be that there would be some sort of appetite in the, in the traditional schooling that would look at some of this stuff and say, okay, well, obviously we can't do all of this. You know, we're just not equipped and set up to do that. Um, but, you know, there are aspects to it that we can, uh, that we could try. Um, is, have you, ha is, is there any appetite to sort of cross pollinate this stuff and say, hey, you know, they're doing some stuff here that seems to be working. Uh, is there like an openness? Because my, my guess, if I had to guess, I would say that there isn't. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, no matter who you talk to, whether it's the, you know, the private school elite, the Catholic school elite, the charter school uh, sort of movement, um, or, or, or folks who are, um, you know, sort of just trying to make the public school system work because yeah. it's more universal and it's for everybody. Yeah. I don't, uh, you know, they've bought into that method, mm -hmm. whatever, whichever one it is. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I wonder how receptive or open they are to like, understanding what this is or yeah. learning something from it as you interact with other sort of administrators or teachers mm -hmm. in other systems. Yeah, I know there's some other founders. There's one in, um, I think, Pittsburgh or Harrisburg, PA, and then one of the founders in Jersey as well. That's one of their desires. And the one especially is really big about collecting data because districts want to see data, right? And so he's working to collect data on their graduates. Um, and so I know that there's some Sudbury um, founders that are into that type of thing. I think a lot of what I've seen here in Delaware is people do it like in the free time. Like I just read an article this morning about some of the way summer schools have gone and how the numbers have increased for summer school this year in Delaware and how they're trying to give kids more choice. It's very, very small amount of choice, but they're still trying. So I think, I think districts are seeing that there's some validity to you choosing what you want to learn, but it's still like they can only do so much, I feel, when you've got funding that and all the funding is for what the results are. It's all for the test or what the outcomes are of the school. And so I think there's some founders that would like to get into it more to try to do more vast change for districts. But a lot of it's just like, look, this is the way public school works. Kind of don't touch it type of thing. Yeah. What's the general, I mean, this one's fairly new, but what is the general path once you once you get past that second or third year where it's working in some fashion for the individual mm -hmm. student? Yeah. How I mean, you you mentioned some some go to um, a more standard high school, um, either to play sports or either or both to mm -hmm. just get uh just get the 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 diploma that says that you you reached the whatever standard that yeah. is so that you can more easily rather than write a thirty page mm -hmm. yeah. uh, paper. Um, you can more easily sort of get to post-secondary um, education. I mean, what's what's the normal? Is that would you say the majority of the students then go on to say do high school as a as a more standard or or maybe half or how? I would say very small go on to do high school. Okay, so they go all the way. So so the yeah the the majority of students that make it past that that second year and it's working for them are going to go all the way through to yeah eight, to eighteen and do the basically. diploma process through the school. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, some of them, like some of the most recent ones that I've seen, maybe they've done their, like, did their GED while still enrolled at the Sudbury School. Um, one female was taking some college classes to get kind of be done with her associates as well. So it really is depending on what the child wants to do. Some just don't. Like, they just stay in the Sudbury School, finish out the diploma process, and then go on to something. There's a lot of, like, different entrepreneurs. Um, 
different designers and stuff that they can be working on while at the school. And so I think it's just all depending on the the individual child, for really. Uh, cool. Well, how how do people get into this? Give 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 the uh, the, the pitch and the and the website and um, I mean you've been so how many? Well, let me before you do that because it's have have, have you. Uh, do you have a class now that's yeah, that's, so we're that's starting, working? We're starting this fall. Okay, so yeah. so you have an incoming class, but has anybody attended yet? So you have an incoming class, but it hasn't opened yet. True, yes. Okay. So our first day is August 30th, um, and yeah, that's going to be the first day of classes. And they can go to our Facebook page or Instagram or our website at WilmingtonSudburySchool.org. Um, and find out all the information. I am more than willing to meet with anyone that's interested, even if they don't have a child. I've done lots of different Zoom meetings and stuff with people that are just interested in the philosophy. Different therapists have contacted me, um, teachers that have retired that were like, please, I would love to be involved in something like this. Um, I wish I would have known sooner and stuff like that. So yeah, we're trying to just get our face out in Wilmington as much as possible. And yeah, people can spread the word. Cool. How many students uh, are coming in on the 30th? We're at around 5 to 10 right now. Oh, nice. So yeah, it's going to start small, but all of them always start small. It's like with any new business, right? Yeah, I assume. I mean, when you go when you go and talk to, um, you know, the other some of the other established ones, like I said, I think the first one was in Boston. Am I right? Yeah, About yeah, in Cambridge. yeah. Yep. And I know that there's one in Philadelphia uh -huh. called the Free School. Um yeah, I'm, I'm assuming they all start out rather rather. Yeah, small. they do. I think the Sudbury School in Massachusetts is like between 100 and 200 now. Philly Free School is around 50 to 60, maybe 70 by now. So, yeah. yeah. It works well to have a small community, but some can go bigger as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and how do you do that? Is it all uh, sort of younger kids uh, just sort of uh, start starting at the beginning and going through? Yeah, or is we it would a, a like range? to have more of a range. But, yeah, yeah oftentimes it does start between, kind of like between 5 and 12-year-olds or whatever. Yeah, so. I guess it's difficult if you're older and you've already gone off on the, it does. On the path. It's yeah. very difficult. Yeah. Which I guess it makes it difficult for you, too, because the older students seem in the in the more established uh, schools seem to have a big a big role to play. Yeah, and so it'll probably be on the staff. Um, and it sounds like a lot of yeah. I'm you know and and as you said, Arden, you know we we love we love our Arden friends. <laughs> uh, I'm sure this is something that they're um, uh, really going to support it being up there. And and as you said, other educators and other people. Yeah, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I I I wish you the best because I I hope that you know people can see that there are alternative yeah. modes of mm -hmm. doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, because I do believe, as I said at the beginning, that, you know, a lot of it is sort of your, and, and you brought it up too, you know, it's, it's based on this model from, you know, the Industrial Revolution or, mm -hmm. or, or for training up workers for, for capital just to, to use up. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's probably not a great model for the kind of world that I would like to see. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, lot, um, there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's great. I really appreciate, yeah, the time and chatting with you about it. Yeah, Hopefully it cool. some interest is out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you, you, you talked to Maria. Maria is a, mm -hmm. a, a big education advocate yeah. and, and Erica, too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mentioned to a few people that we were going to talk and, and uh, there was like some people were confused. No, I'm sure. <laughs> they were like, so like when the kid doesn't do anything, what do they do? And I was like, I don't I don't think they do anything. <laughs> just, like, they do eventually. There's a process. They call it like de-schooling or unlearning. And so, but they do eventually. Like there was not one day where I saw a child literally sitting doing nothing yeah. at my internships. But you have to be willing to kind of wait it out and let them tap into their natural motivation. Yeah, that must be exciting. When I mean, what what's I, I I guess you have a library and toys and a playground mm -hmm. and all of this, and it's just sort of like, all right, have at it. Yeah, and then we if there's things that they don't see there, then we 
we come together as a community and figure out how can we get it here. So yeah. Okay, so all you have to do is sort of just come to the meeting and be like, hey, we don't have this thing. And yeah, I, I and we talk that. about budgeting. We talk about how we're going to get the money for it, if we have funds for it already, and so forth. So yeah, there's it's it's quite in-depth and, yeah, a lot of work. But to me, it seems so holistic for what real life is like. And in traditional schooling, they're not having these choices. Like, they're literally sitting at a desk and doing exactly what the teacher tells them to. And at the Sudbury, at a Sudbury school, it's not like that. They have to take ownership in what they're doing. And to me, that's going to hopefully have a better outcome for them as adults. So, Yeah, in my mind, I think, like, a lot of the... I have a bunch of friends who are, are, are teachers at different levels yeah. and at different types of schools. Yeah. And you know, it seems to me a lot of the behavioral or, or, or psychological problems yeah. is just based on, like, if, if you got to do what you wanted to do, you pro you, you, there's a chance you're not going to, you exactly. know, there's not going to be any acting out because you're actually doing the thing that you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And when you think back, like, how much do we actually remember from what we learned in K-12 to sitting in a classroom learning? very little that we use in our adult life. And so kind of like getting parents to kind of question their own education and where they are as adults now, they're like, oh no, that's very true. But those questions have never been posed. And I want to say I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of education, period. Like I want all children to learn in the best way that they are able to learn. Um, do I want to wait around for public school to change? No. And I was kind of like, that was a process for me. Like I was wanting to see change and that's why I stuck it out for so long. Cause I'm like, no, it has to be able to change. But the, the money behind it and everything else, the power structures that are at play, like it's not going to change for my kids. And so I still want to be an advocate for public education to change, but also provide this other alternative method for families that are interested as well. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I, I don't think that you're going to get uh, as much change uh, or as much openness to do to try alternative things unless mm -hmm. people try alternative things. Exactly. Yeah. Like this, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know who will hear this and immediately either buy into it or immediately like, shut. but, but I really do believe that like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, unless you are, um, you know, brave enough, um, uh, to face some of these things and see how they work. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of like, as you said, whatever concern or sort of hesitation you have sort of let that go and see where it goes, mm -hmm. then, then, you know, you're, you're probably not going to, to, um, to learn enough to make the adjustments you need for everybody. Yeah, exactly. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's changes in all areas. It's not just education. Like it's going to affect the home life. It's going to affect the family. Like parents are going to really have to think about how they're dealing with their kids at home, too. So it's a, it's a huge process. And I completely understand that. But like knowing that parents have support, like I will sit with you. Other staff members will sit with you, hear your concerns, talk with you, because that's half the thing is just listening to parents concerns. And if they feel heard, like so many other things are going to improve after that. So, yeah. Yeah, and again, I think the fact that you have buy-in from the whole family and there's an understanding there of how this is going to go, um, that's important. That That is one of the things, maybe we'll, this will be the last sort of topic we'll talk about because I'm, I, you know, I'm, I am concerned about it. And I guess it goes back to sort of the, um, I don't want to say a cla class, I guess, uh, issue where um, even for students who it might not be affordable uh, or, or you know, that that money could be a problem and that could be worked out. Um, you really do need, uh, you know, parental support to buy into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and because it's it's a it's a it's a process of getting out of, as you said, sort of getting out of the old system, getting into the new system, yeah. and and you know, for for kids who who either you know have working parents who yeah. just aren't around that uh -huh. much 
because they just think they have to they, work yeah. or, or whatever their situation might be where they only have one parent who has mm-hmm. to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I worry that changes like this or opportunities like this just aren't available to mm-hmm. those people. Yeah. And, and, and I hope that this becomes sort of an incubator for good ideas that mm-hmm. then, become available for others because you know even just the money thing it's not just the money yeah. it's it's a it's a it's a social uh and a and a familial uh-huh. um, support that you need to be able to do something that at this point is sort of way outside the norm yeah you know and, and radical and i say that in the in the best possible yeah, way yeah yeah no and we that's what that's one of the things that that's one of the reasons that we're trying to link up with so many different people here in wilmington because we realize that and they're going to be able to maria's going to be able to communicate with a family way better than i can and she's seen it in different ways as well. Like she's seen it down in Puerto Rico working with the democratic school as well. And so that's why we want to be connecting with other, other individuals here in Wilmington that can help to ease the fears or just be there for parents to kind of walk through it with them. Cool. Well, Michelle, thank you very much for, uh, for coming and talking about it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I very much appreciate it. Uh, folks. Yeah. Check it out. Um, especially, you know, I don't know how uh, parents feel about it, but um, for other people who can show their support, um, whether you're an educator, um, whether you're just somebody who wants to, you know, ha- has a, a particular skill that you want to go, you know, do, contact them and see uh, see if you can do it. Because it sounds like um, there's a lot of flexibility in, in, in going and doing and showing and teaching um, in this environment. So um, go check it out, folks. We'll have uh, all of the information linked in the show notes. Also... Uh, just remember, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. You can pick, I would prefer that you pick the uh, the $10 a month patronage. Uh, that would really help us out continue this work. Uh, you should also go and click on Delaware Call at DelawareCall.com and uh, support that work. That would be fantastic. We have a lot of stuff uh, lined up uh, on that as well. Little uh, Little note on our show. We have a lot of cool stuff coming up. Uh, we do have a conversation with uh, my friend Natty in Chile about the resurgence of the pink tide and also why leftist commentators tend to be uh, mean dicks for no reason, uh, which we're trying to stop. Uh, also, uh, we have a lot of uh, political uh, stuff hitting. We're going to talk about organizing um, specifically around the uh, Brady resign issue, but more broadly about how we should look at engaging with new activists and advocates um and we have some other uh, some other treats for you of some elected officials who have potentially some big news so if you stick with us you'll hear all of that information and as always left is best <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>